So Money, episode 405, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. TGIF. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. It is Friday. We made it. What a week. Did any of you catch Follow the Leader on Wednesday with Gary Vaynerchuk? Yeah, a lot of you might know Gary because if you listen to this podcast and you're a fan of money and business and entrepreneurship, I have a feeling you might have come across Gary's work. He is one of the most famous people on the internet, at least. He's got millions of followers. He knows how to leverage social media and the digital space to make money for not only himself, but also his clients. He's the co-founder and CEO of VaynerMedia, which is a fast-growing digital marketing agency. They've got clients from General Motors to Coca-Cola, et cetera, even celebrities that uh, come to him saying, hey, Gary, we want to like, you know, make some money here. And we understand that uh, everyone's on the internet. uh, So can you help us with that? So he's sort of like a Don Draper, 2016 Don Draper, who is basically taking the advertising model and putting it on the internet and, and getting a lot of traction. And he's a hustler. If you watch any of his videos on YouTube, follow him on social media, read his articles, been to any of his events, you know that he is really big on the hustle and he really believes that he can outwork people. One of the things that he kept telling me during our 48 plus hours together was that, you know, there's this myth that you have to suddenly work smart and not work hard. And his thing is, well, what if I do both? What if I work hard and work smart? Then I'm definitely, it's going to guarantee that I finish first. And he is obsessed with meritocracy. So if you didn't check out that episode, I think CNBC is playing it in reruns, but you can also go to followtheleader.cnbcprime.com. And we've got all of the full episodes online. So if you don't have cable, you don't have a television, you're not home when this airs, you don't have a DVR, don't worry. It's online. It's all there. And we hope that you'll check it out. And please let me know what you thought. Okay. Today we have several people to help out. I'm going to start here. Just go straight to our mailbag and start with Caroline who writes in and says, my husband and I bought the smallest house on the best block in a great school system. Well, so far, so good, Caroline. She says that we've lived there for two years. We want to stay as long as possible. We've talked about putting a second story on our house. And based on the sales comps in the neighborhood and the rapidly appreciating values, we think it'll be a great investment. My question is about the loan. Our plan was to save $100,000 in the next two years so that we could put down half for the addition and take out a loan for the remaining amount, probably $50,000 to $100,000. Recently, I've been thinking maybe it would make more sense to take out a loan for the full amount and channel that savings elsewhere. What do you think? Well, Caroline, you know, $200,000 on a home renovation, I think that's a lot. I didn't spend that much money on my home renovation. I live in New York City. Um, so I would first revisit, you know, the budget. Do you really have to spend that much money to get the 
dream home that you want. And maybe you can spend some time finding the right contractors, re-examining the the, the plans to, to bring that down a bit. Because I think that, you know, if that's your budget going in, know that when you start a construction project, your budget always goes up. I mean, you always plan for like 50% more spending because there are some things that are just going to come up that you won't anticipate. And this is not meant to scare you and this is not absolute, but it's a good rule of thumb to keep in mind. Any home renovation project that you under that you uh, take on know that there are going to be some potential unexpected costs. So having some money for that is very, very important because you don't ever want to be in a situation where you're stuck and there's a cost that you just have to make to proceed uh, and you don't have the money. So just always err on the side of um, needing more than what you anticipate. So $200,000 or $150,000, maybe what you really need to do is think, okay, we're going to only spend 80, 90, 100,000 and then if there's any more than that and you have the savings, fine. But I worry that if you go in with like a budget of a hundred or, or sorry, $200,000, you could see a project that becomes suddenly 250, 300. So just number one, you know, be a little bit more uh, conservative about your budget. Next, I think that, I think cash is king. You know, I think having the money cash in your bank account, I think psychologically, you will just make better decisions and you'll be more thoughtful in how you spend that money. I think when you have a loan and it's this big line of credit, it's easier to okay and approve expenses here and there because it's less painful to spend that money. You know, you'll pay it back later as opposed to the money in your account, that that account getting smaller and smaller and smaller and you suddenly starting to realize the the pain associated with these costs, the psychological pain, the reality of the, of the spending, the reality that the money is only, you know, limited. I think um, for that reason alone, I think in some ways it's helpful to just use cash as opposed to taking out, as opposed to financing it, you know, debt financing this. So I think to the best of your ability, if you can save, that would be the smartest thing. This coming from someone who just finished a renovation, who did it all using cash, who um, spent a good year, you know, being very methodical and, and, careful about who I hired and I didn't always make the best decisions. There were a lot of mistakes along the way that were sometimes costly. Um, so it's important to you know, first be really conservative about your budget, plan for spending more than that uh, as a possibility because things come up. And then I think cash is king. You know, If you can do this project, spending mostly your money it's going to encourage you to be just that mo- that much more thoughtful about every every single expense. So good luck to you, and I I hope it's successful. Keep me posted. As I said, I've been through this, uh, not to the extent of like adding on to our apartment, but we have combined apartments, big project. So I have some uh, I have some thoughts on the whole process. So keep in touch, Caroline. Uh, we have an anonymous question. And this person says, I Googled myself and found out that my address, pictures of me, and my family members' personal information all come up on the first page. What do I do? Is there any service that works to keep your information from showing up online? Uh, Well, yeah, I think there are actually some services that will help to kind of whitewash your internet 
existence in some ways. But I would start by maybe finding out where this information is popping up and going directly to these sources and figuring out how your information got there, tracing it, maybe working with them directly to get you off these sites. I mean, in some cases it's going to be very difficult. I remember somebody reached out to me at one point long ago and said, hey, Farnoosh, you did an article on me about how I got myself out of debt. Well, at the time, I really appreciated the story, but now it's one of the first things people find out about me when they Google search me and I'm looking for jobs and it's, you know, although I got out of debt and it was a great story, I still feel like it's not the best way to for people to first learn about me. And I completely understood. The problem was was that that article was published on Yahoo, which is one of the most popular websites on the planet. So um, we were able to ultimately yank that article uh, off, but it was difficult even finding the right person to do that for me, even though I was working there. My advice to you is to, you know, ask around, do a search for these types of companies. I don't know enough about this to recommend anything, but I think these, I have seen like documentaries and I've seen like interviews on 2020 and 60 Minutes about this kind of stuff. So it exists. You just have to do a little, uh, research and uh, do contact perhaps some of the sites where your information is listed and just be careful, you know, about giving your information out anywhere because that's sometimes what leads to that information popping up on sites that you didn't authorize. And moving on, we have a question here from, I want to say Jeanette with a G. Jeanette says, thank you for putting out this podcast. It's been a welcome addition to my morning routine. I recently got married and read that couples should aim to keep their credits separate. My partner and I have some separate accounts and one joint account. We've been using a debit card for our joint purchases, but would like to take advantage of credit card rewards. Is there a way to share a credit card without mixing up our credit? Is this even something we should really be worried about? Thanks again. So Jeanette, all right, just to clarify, because I'm not really sure if this is what you think happens when you get married or not. Just I couldn't tell from your from your question here, but forgive me if, if you already know this, but just to say, I want to say and to clear things up a little bit for anyone listening, when you get married, your credit does not get shared necessarily technically, like your credit doesn't average together. Um, your credit doesn't become your husband's credit and vice versa. Your credit score does not appear on your husband's credit score. Your credit is still your credit. What I think the general advice out there is, and I support that, is that as a couple, you're going to obviously have shared accounts. You might even have a shared credit card, but it's important that you are vigilant about your credit profile. If you have a partner who has a lot of debt, is irresponsible with money, doesn't pay bills on time, this may not be a situation where you want to have your name and your partner's name on one loan, on one credit card, because whatever activity happens on that card, good or bad, affects the both of you. Um, so you might enter the relationship with stellar credit and your partner may have mediocre credit and you open up a credit card together, you go on using, you go about using that card, maybe your partner is responsible for paying it off, fails to do it, not only does your partner's credit get damaged, but so does yours. So that's just something to be wary of if you're married to someone who, you know, needs some 
credit R&R. I wouldn't recommend sharing accounts with this person unless you are certain that the two of you can be responsible and that you've worked out a system to pay off that debt, that credit card debt or that loan um, timely and um, you know in good faith. So what happens when you get married, your credit scores don't get mixed together, but you know, just keep in mind that if you do have any, if you co-sign anything together, the activity on that loan, that credit card gets reported equally to both of your credit reporting agencies and your credit scores get impacted uh, accordingly. Um, I think you can have a joint credit card together where your name's on it and his or her name's on it. Um, just, and, and in that case, you, whatever activity happens on that card will get reported to both of your credit profile accounts. Got it? So it's it's just that's it is that's what happens. Um again, if you don't think that this is something that's a good idea for whatever reason, don't do it. Um when you apply for credit cards together or when you apply for mortgages together, the banks will look at both of your credit profiles separately and make an assessment. There's not like a credit report for the two of you. So I hope that clarifies some things up. I mean, I don't think you should be really worried if you trust your partner, if you've got a system down of paying your bills on time. Um, you could go on as a an authorized user on one of your partner's existing credit cards. If you don't want to open up new credit together, you can take existing credit and just have one of you come on as an authorized user. And in that case, the activity on that card gets reported to both of your credit profiles um, equally. So that's one way to do it. And um, that's all I have to say about that. I mean, if you have more questions, this is something that I really geek out on. For all of you listening, credit's a very, um, very near and dear to me. And so if you have any further questions about this, feel free to write in. And with your debit card, you probably know this too, debit card transactions activity do not get reported and do not impact your credit score, just credit cards and loans. We've spoken so much about being fiscally healthy this week. It's also important to me and my family to be diet healthy as well. What if I told you that you could eat right and save time and money while doing it? I know it sounds too good to be true, but it's possible with PrepDish. PrepDish is a healthy subscription-based meal planning service that takes the guesswork out of grocery shopping and meal prep when you want to eat well, but you're short on time. Each week, you receive an email that contains a grocery list and instructions for prepping your meals ahead of time, and it only takes two hours to prep a whole week's worth of meals. But it gets even better. PrepDish is offering So Money listeners a special offer of $4 for the first month of meal plans. Just go to PrepDish.com slash SoMoney and use my code SoMoney one word, when you sign up. They have this Romesco baked salmon with roasted sweet potatoes recipe that I can't wait to try. And they have gluten-free, dairy-free, and paleo options as well. Go sign up today, prepdish.com slash money and use my code money for $4 for your first month. Erin says, two quick questions for you. One, if I have disability insurance through work that will pay 60% of my salary, should I still look into buying my own policy? Um, Well, to answer this first, before we get to the second question, uh, I don't think you need another policy. I think that's sufficient. Um, A lot of times, policies, disability insurance policies through your employer, uh, if you have to redeem it, that money is paid to you and it's not taxed. Uh, it's just, 
you don't have to pay taxes on that. So it's like kind of getting a paycheck because if you're like in the 20% tax bracket, 35% tax bracket, um, that is like the equivalent of 60% almost of your paycheck, which in this case is what your, uh, your disability insurance covers. So I think it's kind of like replacement insurance. It's kind of like replacement salary insurance for them for all intents and purposes. So I think you're good and that's a pretty good policy. But check, read the fine print. I obviously don't have the policy in front of me, but that is generally what happens. And then your next question is when people talk about having a six-month emergency fund, does that mean six months of income or six months of expenses. I currently have an emergency fund that will cover six months of expenses, but not yet six months of income. I wanna shift my focus to saving for a down payment on a house, and should I wait to do that until I have a six month income cushion? Thank you, I listen to the podcast every morning. A lot of morning listeners to the podcast. It's very inspiring. I need a morning routine. I have a, my routine is uh, waking up at 6.30 to feed my son, who then decides he wants to start his day, whether I've had enough sleep or not. <laughs> and so I need the strongest possible coffee. And then one day I hope to listen to a podcast in the morning, maybe get an exercise routine in in the morning. Ugh, a girl can dream. I think to answer your question, I think six months of expenses is what we're really talking about. Um, because we're talking about in a worst case scenario, you lose your job, you know, ideally you have income of six months short away so that you can save as well. But, you know, at the bare minimum, you want to be able to cover your necessary expenses for six months. So that includes, you know, housing, um, food, your insurances, your utilities, uh, and, and any icing on top would be great, but at the minimum, you want your necessities covered and those necessity expenses covered. If you want to save for a home, then you want to have that emergency savings and you want to have a down payment saved. There's a separate account, right? You want to anticipate that when you make a bid on a home, in order to be competitive as a buyer, that you have at least 15%, 20%, depending on where you are. Even in New York, you might need 25%. That's a lot. But that's what people do these days to ensure that they're in the running to buy a home because right now it's a seller's market. So the more that you can put down on a home, the more likely you'll get approved. So six months of expenses and then separately save for a down payment on a home that's equivalent to, at the minimum, I would say 15%, if not more, of your budget for a home. All right, Monique says, hey, Farnoosh, love the show. I tune in daily. All right, you're making me double think this whole transition that I'm doing. Do you guys know about this? I'm going to three days per week starting in May. Yep, it's happening. Went from seven to five to three days per week. It's a big shift, but I think it's going to be a smart move for my sanity and also your listening enjoyment. I think that a lot of people are writing in saying, I listen every day, but it's a hustle. So we'll do three quality podcasts a week starting in May. All right, Monique says, my sister is scared to ask for more money on a position that she was offered. So which episode is the best one for her to listen to for advice? Wow. I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, I think it's common. You know, people get scared to ask for more money. They think that they're going to seem entitled. They're going to seem ungrateful. I should just be happy to have a job offer. That's just fooey. I mean, you know, especially if you're just starting out, you're a younger worker. The fact is, and this was a survey by NerdWallet recently, that a lot of employers 
anticipate offering you more if you ask for it. Like they leave room for negotiation, at least 10, 15%. It's just part of the the ordeal of accepting a job, you know? Um, so to answer your question about which podcast I think uh, – are helpful in order for your sister to regain some confidence. I remember talking to Leah Goldman from Marie Claire about this very topic, episode 309. Lauren Mylan, episode 308. Uh, gosh, Jenna Ricker, episode 306. I did a whole episode, highlight episode, 2015 highlights, episode 322, where we talk about how to earn more in life, whether it's on the job or on the side. So those I think are some good starter episodes. I think also we talk about earning more with Anne Choquette, formerly the editor-in-chief of Seventeen Magazine, episode 328. Oh, okay, sorry, one last one. Episode 329, Sherry from Save, Spend, Splurge. She's amazing. That episode is awesome on for a lot of reasons. You know, this woman... She's kind of anonymous. She didn't give me her last name, but how she negotiates her pay. And she's a freelancer. So it's a little different than being, um, you know, an employee at a company. But I think the advice is stellar. So listen to that. And I think, um, I know she'll be inspired. This is a a podcast that I, I think I try to talk a lot about how to enhance your income potential. I think, uh, she'll learn a lot from those ladies. I certainly did. And last but not least, we have a question here from Megan, rounding out our Ask Farnoosh for this Friday. And she says, I'm expecting a windfall by the end of this year. All right. I like windfalls. She says, it's because of a lawsuit over a car accident. Well, that's, I'm sorry to hear that. I hope you're okay, Megan. She says, my lawyer uh, says, says that I should be receiving between twenty dollars and $30,000. That's good. I'm in my late 20s. I have a healthy savings account. I have a Roth IRA. And I owe twenty grand in student loans. What do you suggest I do with this new money? I want to make the right decision for my future. All right. So Megan, I think that before you make any moves with this lump sum, which is significant, you want to think about where you want to be in the next three to five years. Do you want to go back to school? Do you want to transition from one career to the next, which may require being out of work for a while or taking time out? Um, do you want to start a business? Do you want to buy a home? I think it's, you know, obviously, like you look at what's in front of you, you have this debt, this student loan debt, which, you know, depending on the interest rate, which I don't know, could be some rotten debt and may be worthy of uh, of a pay down with this lump sum, this windfall. And I will say when I got my first book proposal at 20, oh, sorry, my book advance for my first book proposal, I think I was 25 or 26 at the time, I had about 30,000, 20,000 in student loans. I used a big chunk of the of the book proposal advance to pay that off. And it felt really good. And it was a low interest rate. It wasn't because I was paying all this in interest. But for me, psychologically, it was nice to be debt free once and for all. So I did it. Um, in this case, it sounds like you'd be putting 80, 90% of this uh, of this windfall towards your student loans. And if it's a low interest rate, I'm not sure that's like the best way to use that money. Um, Given you may want to pursue several things in the next three to five years that would require some some cash. So think about where you want to be in the next few years. If those goals require some financing, 
And maybe it is that you put some towards the student loans to relieve that monthly payment a bit, uh, but then you save the rest for a goal down the road that maybe you don't even know what it is, but you like the idea of having the money there, okay? So congrats on the windfall, and I really, again, hope sincerely that you are okay, and I appreciate your question and your listenership. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Megan, Monique, Aaron, Jeanette, Anonymous. I hope you clear up your you know, your profile online. And Caroline, I really appreciate all of your questions. And as a reminder, if any of you listening have a question for me, the best way to get in touch is to go to somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh, type in your question, comes into my inbox, and uh, we shall meet on a forthcoming episode of Ask Farnoosh. In the meantime, really hope you enjoy your weekend. Um, And I will see you right back here on Monday. Hope your day and your weekend is so 